HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Food Without Borders on Heritage Radio Network, a show about food, politics, and identity. I'm your host, Sari Kamen. Today, my guest is Chef Sang Lewengroth. She was born in Laos and fled with her family during the Vietnam War. She is the owner of Tip Cow, Washington, D.C.'s first Lao restaurant. Tip Cow has earned honors from Michelin, Bon Appetit, and the James Beard Foundation, which listed Chef Sang as the semi-finalist for Best Chef Mid-Atlantic. She now leads an international movement to promote Lao cuisine. Hi, Chef Sang. Are you there with me? Yes, I am. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you? Welcome to Food Without Borders. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. So Chef Sang is calling in from Washington, D.C., um, where she's based and where she helms the restaurant Tip Cow. Um, So we're definitely going to talk all about that restaurant. But first, Chef Sang... I wanted to start from the beginning. Like I said in uh, your bio, you were born in Laos and you ended up leaving with your family during the Vietnam War. Um, How old were you when that happened? Um, That was in 1981. I was 12 years old. Okay. Um, That was, uh, I'm sure, a pretty difficult experience to have to flee Laos because of the the conditions that were taking place because of the war. And you ended up going to a refugee camp in Thailand at that time. Do you remember what it was like having to to get out of the country so quickly? Uh, Yes, I remember um, my mom would tell me and my siblings, start packing and come with her. So she took us to the bus stop and... Um, we realized that we were out of our city where we lived, and we were out in the border of uh, the Mekong River um, on the riverside. We were just waiting for someone to pick us up. So then once we realized that, oh, okay, we have to leave. <laughs> so, But she didn't tell us where exactly where we were going to go, but she was just like, well, just come. And then 
Yeah. Um, it was it was difficult um, because she was, um, you know, was a single mom, took us across the border. So we kind of scared a little bit until we realized, oh, okay, there's someone going to meet us up to take us to the border. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we had to take a boat across the Mekong River and walk across the Mekong River. Oh. Uh, once we get to the Thai border, we were just very happy to get to, to be on, on the safety side. Right, so you you had an understanding that where you were wasn't yeah, safe, yeah. and you were going yeah, somewhere I, where you would yeah, be safe. Yeah, I was safe. twelve years old, so I remember right. pretty much most of uh, what what had wow. what happened. Okay, um, so you ended up in Thailand. You ended up in a refugee camp. How long were you there for? Um, I was in refugee camp from the nineteen eighty one to two nineteen eighty three, early nineteen eighty three. Mm-hmm. And what was life like there? Uh, it was, um, we were in, in two different camps. So the first camp was temporary, which is in Long Kai. Um, it was quite, um, difficult because we were stuck in this, um, that small hut with a whole bunch of people and, um, there's not much, um, opportunity going on. So I wasn't able to cook. Uh, I was kind of like feeling, you know, my, you know, touch of cooking where, where I was learning from my grandmother. So, um, until later on, we were transferred to a, a permanent camp. Uh, which is I have more opportunity to to cook, um, but it was kind of rough because I wasn't able to find the ingredients where I you know I, I loved I used to love cooking I wasn't able to go and harvest vegetable from you know my grandmother garden I wasn't able to go to the fish pond and you know find some fish things like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how much mm-hmm. did you learn about cooking from your time in the refugee camp, or how much? You know, how'd you learn from your grandmother already before you you got there? Um, I learned the basics from my grandmother, which is the, the central of Laos cooking. Um, it wasn't quite explored to other part of Laos, so it would just stick with, with what I what we grew up eating, what she had cooked for us. Um, until I get to the refugee camp, then I realized that, you know, Lao food is just not, you know, what I had been eating. Um, Lao food has, you know, I mean, I learned throughout... You know, people that live in the refugee camp is not just from, from, from the central region of Laos, where I was from. I was born in Vientiane. So I had met my neighbors who from, you know, Luang Prabang, and then, you know, we, I met the neighbor from the south of Laos, which is um, Savannah Kate and Pakistan. And I realized that, oh, wow, each region is different. Mm. Um, so I, I learned to explore a different type of Lao cooking um, pretty much there from the refugee camp. So what are some of the, um, like, the thread lines in, in Lao cooking? I mean, I understand that it's regional, but what are some of the sort of, like, benchmark flavors and ingredients just to give us an understanding of, of what kind of cuisine it is? Um, the benchmark flavor is, is intense with, um, we use a lot of padak, which is a fermented fish sauce. So it seems like all region that use the same. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, identify us as, as, as Lao people. You know, we cook with badak using as umami. Um, and we also, um, our staple is sticky rice. So let's, let's identify, you know, all or, or, or throughout the country. Um, we all have papaya salad and lab. And other than that is, um, it's quite different, depends on where, where, what part of Laos you're from. For example, you're coming from the northern, it's kind of, um, the flavor is quite different, not too much intense. And when you go to the southern, it's very intense, very spicy, um, a, a lot of raw meat. What kind of dishes did your grandmother teach you when you were growing up? 
Um, my grandmother will cook the basic stuff. Um, so she will teach me how to cook sticky rice and, um, you know, different kind of gel. And we also, gel is, is a dipping sauce. It's, it's a type of Lao dipping sauce. And she also taught me how to make lap, you know, which is the, um, the minced meat salad. We chop the meat or vegetable to make salad. Um, basic stuff, something like that. Yeah. So when you were at the refugee camp, um, my understanding is that you were sort of responsible for the cooking in your family and you were, you were in, in a lot of ways kind of the primary caretaker of your siblings because your mom had to, to work during the day. Yeah. What was it like, uh, you know, taking on that role at like it's, it's such a young age and having to figure out how to, to feed everyone around you being so young? Um, I already, um, I, you know, at, at the age of 12, I kind of understand um, my role. Um, and also, I have so much passion into, you know, what I do. Cooking is, is, is such a great passion. So mm-hmm. I take that responsibility very seriously. Um, I never hated it. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Um, and I love to explore and learning, um, you know, different things. So I, I took that responsibility uh, uh, quite well. Yeah, it sounds like there was a lot of pride attached to, to being able to feed everyone so well around you. Yes, and I, I, I love to um, cook. I love to feed, and I love mm-hmm. to hear feedback. So my sibling will tell me <laughs> that the food is good or bad. <laughs> yeah. Did you earn a reputation at all, like amongst, you know, your neighbors or other people as like a great cook or someone who really knew yes, what they I, were I doing? Do, I, do, I do love to, um, you know, when I'm not cooking, I do like to sneak through um, their kitchen and see what they're doing. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes they're, most of the time they will notice me because they, they kind of already realize that, you know, I love cooking. So they will call me to come to their kitchen and, and ask me to chop things or, you know, pounding um, herbs to help them cooking. Then I start to taste some of the dishes and I realize that, oh, wow, I never had that before. This is something new. So it's, it's quite like, uh, for me, it's like curiosity to learn. Yeah. And it sounds like you're... Mm-hmm. Um, just, just sort of gaining a strong sense of self during that experience through that. Um, so what happened next? What happens after you leave the refugee camp? Uh, we are not in, in, in the, another refugee camp, which is in the Philippines. Uh, we were there for six months. Um, then I continue, I mean, my cooking continue uh, in the Philippines more. So we have a lot of um, opportunity to, you know, grow our own vegetables and herbs. So we have our little garden, even though we lived there for six months, you know, and we have, uh, we were able to go to outside and, you know, looking for bamboo shoots or any uh, wild vegetable out in the bushes. Um, it, it was quite um, another, like, a great experience also to realize that, you know, I also have, you know, like, Chinese neighbor that I can learn from. Yeah. And I noticed that, you know, their cooking style is like, wow, this is, this is something, again, it's something quite interesting. So I kind of like explore a little bit on, a little bit on Chinese cuisine mm-hmm. in, in the Philippines. I love how you turned that experience into such a positive one for yourself. You know, you just looked at it as an opportunity to learn from everyone around you and, you know, figure out how to like grow food and and kind of like cultivate this like nascent uh, little mini career that you, I mean, obviously we now know you ended up pursuing later in life. Um, But what about when you, when you left the Philippines and did you end up going to the United States after that? Oh, uh, yes. We were ended up in San Francisco Bay Area. Um, so I was about 14 um, when my mom um, 
you know, decided to, you know, get a second job, you know, because that's how we are going to be able to afford ourselves. So she had assigned me to be a main cook. Um, so I would uh, do, I came, you know, come back from home from school, finish up my homework. So my major, one of my major responsibility is like being a second mom to my siblings. So mm-hmm. I start to um, explore a little bit more, just not just only Lao cuisine, Lao food I had been cooking. So now I'm just decided, you know, I'm going to start doing, maybe do a little bit of Italian, American. So I start making pasta, wow. spaghetti, <laughs> um, and I start using fish sauce to put on my spaghetti for my sibling that they loved it. And then I start to realize, oh, there's a TV show, or uh, there's there's a PBS. So I I love to watch PBS to, you know, learn my English. So I decided to turn on the weekend, and then I would just realize that oh wow, something is on TV. So I I, I had seen Diane Cat Cook on the show, and then I had seen um, Julia Child. So by cooking, kind of like curiosity again, I was like. Wow, Julia Chai using an oven to uh, to to bake her chicken, uh-huh. and I was just like, I never used an oven before, and I was just like, wow, this is something new. And then I saw Yan Can Cook was marinate the meat. I was like, I never thought of marinate the meat before I cook, so it's quite quite an amazing experience to see that on TV. Yeah. So it sounds like you were, you know, you were learning English and you were learning um, just American customs, but also learning American cooking skills and and ways through Julia Child and all these other people that you were watching on television. You were sort of, it was sort of like the whole, you know, educational package for you all in one. Yes, yes, absolutely. It it was, it was um, uh, uh, um, a learning process for me. So I actually, nowadays, I start using the techniques that I had been watching and learning, you know, in, in some of the items I have on, on the menu at Deep Cow and, and Badak as well. Wow. Did, it, did having those chefs on TV, did that make your whole transition to the United States easier than you think it would have otherwise? Um, I think so. <laughs> and I think so. And I increased the more passion. I increased to, to realize that, you know, cooking is really what I want to do in, with my life. I just, I just realize that it makes me so happy when I cook. Um, the more I'm in the kitchen, the more I feel like, you know, my happiness is right there in the kitchen. When, mm-hmm. when I, when I cook, when I, when I, when I serve my sibling and they say, my sibling will say, Oh, this is good. What did you do? How you do it? It's kind of like make me like, okay, you know, I need to do something more with, 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 uh, with my passion, yeah. but it didn't come until later. Okay. So, so let's talk about that. You didn't become a cook right away. What happened first? Um, my parents, my mom would encourage me to go to, uh, you know, get a banking degree mm-hmm. because that's what she said I should, I should do with, uh, you know, with, with, you know, my job because she didn't know. And during that time, I don't think she has an idea that I have so much passion in cooking. So she encouraged me to take uh, a business class. So I ended up, you know, working in the bank. Um, and I never happy with with that. I, I just didn't like that. So, but I, again, like on my day off, I would go to my, uh, my family homes and, you know, my in-law homes and I cook for, for them on weekends. So I never stopped cooking. You know, if I, I got married and moved here in 1990 and I still continue my passion cooking for my, my family, my friends on my day off. And then you, Ended up getting married, right? And went to Virginia. Yes. And you then you kind of pivoted into another career with your husband that still, again, wasn't cooking. Mm-hmm. What was that? 
my husband decided to um, go into. We actually thought about opening a restaurant back in um, uh, back in the days, but we realized that you know it's not it's not. It's not the safe thing to do, so we realized we should do a flowing business. So my husband and <laughs> Couldn't I be more decided different. to go with a flowing business. Yeah, but somehow you were able to sort of keep in touch with your with your passion and find ways to, you know, keep cooking, like even in more of just a hobby way. Or like, I read that you would get up sometimes, like in the middle of the night, and like test recipes. <laughs> I did. I did. Um, so I, I didn't stop cooking. I still continue cooking. I had to work, help my husband with the business. But I do come home late at night and I still decided, you know what, I'm not going to stop this. You know, my mind is still in food. And I, this is what made me happy. So I would stay up until 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, testing recipes. <laughs> did you cooking. feel like you were living a double yeah, life so. a little bit? <laughs> I'm sorry? Did you feel like you were living a double life a little bit? <laughs> I think so. I think so. Because it's it, it, when I cooked and I bring it to my friends or to my coworker or to the people we have contract with. They gave me a good feedback. It just made me happy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm happy to know that the next, the next chapter in your life, you did start cooking professionally. I, we're going to talk about that. We're going to take a quick commercial break and then we'll be right back with Chef Sang. Yes. Thank Hundred Bogart Street is finally open and ready for Bushwick. One Hundred Bogart is a brand new, state-of-the-art co-working space that provides turnkey workspaces, including open layout desks, meeting spaces, and furnished private offices. Members have access to top-notch amenities such as custom furniture, high-speed internet, spacious kitchenettes with coffee and tea, printers, scanners, and much more. Alongside their professional work environment. 100 Bogart also provides exclusive educational programming for any curious entrepreneur. Heritage Radio Network has made their new office home at 100 Bogart and will host many events there in the future. For more information about their co-working space, visit 100bogart.com and become a member to network, create, and educate. Hey, you're listening to Food Without Borders on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sari Kamen. I have been talking with Chef Sang Lewengrath. She's the chef of Tip Cow in Washington, D.C., which is a Lao restaurant. Um, she's just about to tell us how after a very long time of kind of uh, ignoring her true passion, which was cooking and pursuing banking and a flooring business, finally at the age of 40, she became a professional cook and opened a restaurant. So what was that like to get into that? And it's such a, a later time in life. Um, it was, it was quite, um, and, um, an experience for me because I, um, you know, I was told I was in the wrong business. So finally I said, you know what, the best way for me to do to make me happy is, is to figure out what I want to do in my life to open a restaurant. Um, I did not have any experience at all. I was actually trying to find a way to get into, you know, like other chef kitchen, but I, I had turned down a few times. Um, so I was just telling myself, I'm just going to do it without any experience at all. So I just took over a Thai restaurant. That was the best way for me, I think. I, I mean, I thought it would be the best way for me to survive in the business. So I took over a Thai restaurant with no experience at all whatsoever. So I pretty much taught myself 
from basic, you know, knife holding, cutting, chopping, opening on, I mean, turn on, you know, appliances, um, operating the whole restaurant. So I'm pretty much handle all that. Uh, pretty much when early on was by myself. And, How are you and my so brave? Help me later. <laughs> yeah. How could you? I mean, yeah. I'm just like blown away that you you had that much courage and confidence. I, I mean, it must I, have been I, terrifying. I actually did. I actually did have confidence because the reason I have confidence is because I have so much passion into mm. it. And I realized that, yeah, it is a risky business. It's kind of like challenging, especially I'm a woman, um, especially I'm a minority. I just feel like, you know what? I have to do it. I have to follow my gut feeling. You're a woman. So you're a minority. You're an immigrant. I mean, you had, you know, pretty much everything in some ways stacked against you as, as a business owner in the United States. But I think part of be so you know so much of what i hear of different immigrants who have kind of a similar story is there's so much um resilience because of what you've been through so far it's you have that you have that strength and, and confidence yeah. in yourself yeah 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 so, so for, for what i've been through with my life so yeah. it's kind of given me that strength to do it yes yeah um so tell us how that went when you opened the thai restaurant or reopened the thai restaurant uh, i took over existing thai restaurant mm-hmm. it was there yes. yeah and how did that go Oh, it went, it blew my mind. <laughs> so I, I, um, the first day, I actually, the first day I was crying. I, I, oh. I couldn't handle. I, I, I dropped everything. I have to close for two hours and I have to like, okay, I need to focus. I need to do what to do. And I decided, you know, I need to do something. And then I continue open and I just keep doing it until uh, two months later. I said, you know what? What else is make me happy? It is already make me happy open a business, having a restaurant. But what is what else is make me happy? I realized that I need to go back to my culture. Mm. I need to go back to a Lao cuisine. I need to do something with that. So I decided to present Lao food, uh, you know, two, three items at a time and to see, to test the market, to see how people respond to Lao food. Because Lao food is such an unknown cuisine. And I, I did going through under Thai is because, again, I did not know what to do with the business. Yet I was just start learning how to run the business so it become blowing my mind how people respond to Lao food. I, I did not expecting that it happened so immediately. So it, it happened within six months. So uh, the, the name got out. Uh, it, people came by and said, I want Lao food. So it kind of blew my mind. <laughs> so people just were immediately taken by it and wanted more. Yes, it seemed like people were craving for more and people came and asked for it. And I didn't have a menu back then. I would just told my staff to tell my guests, you know, that we have special items today, which is a lot of dishes. And I, tra- I trained my staff to, you know, train them how to tell my guests, you know, and then when the guests ask where it's Laos, and we have to explain where it's Laos. And then we also have to explain what's the difference with Lao food. Oh, wow. Food You're really offering a, a whole education so it was there. Quite, it was quite challenging. Uh-huh. Very challenging. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then you opened uh, you opened Tip Cow, which is, which is a Lao restaurant. So what made you decide to, you know, devote an entire restaurant just, just to Lao cuisine instead of offering it as just, you know, part of the menu at, at Bangkok Golden? Well, I realized that people were actually accepting Lao cuisine really well. And I just like, I need to do something. I need to open a Lao restaurant only. So I thought in my head, and then I listened to my guest. My guest said, Justin, you need to open a Lao restaurant. We need you in D.C. So it's kind of the word of encouragement from, from my guests. Um, and the community is, is supporting. So when we open Deep Cow in D.C., it, it's not just for, for me that I had done all this. It's a whole community 
pulling it together to help me to make it happen. Yeah. So what do you think it is about Lao cuisine that is so compelling to people? Is it just that it was different? It was something they'd never had before? Is it just so, you know, incredibly delicious? Like, what was the thing that really seemed to captivate people right from the get-go? I would say it's all that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's something people never had before. It's something new. People want to try something new. D.C. is a very open city. Uh, We're welcoming to different cuisine, to different types of ethnic food. So uh, it's, it's only... It's not only that, it's also, you know, the flavor, um, you know, the, the sticky rice, um, the fermented fish sauce. Um, it is, is the techniques that, that we are cooking. We present the food as it is. So I, I present the food as the way I would eat it, as the way you will see once you eat it. When you go to a Laos household, you will realize that you had that before. It's something that I stick with the, the true Lao cooking, with the straightforward from the kitchen. Yeah. I mean, you've you've had so many, you know, awards and recognitions at this at this point, you know, Eater nominated you for best chef one year and Michelin recognized the restaurant. I mean, what does that feel like to have gone so long sort of trying to suppress your passion and now having finally realized it to be recognized in this way? Um, it, was, it was quite unbelievable because when I started my career in my late 40s, I, I didn't really expect anything beyond you know, being a cook, being a chef, being a restaurateur, be, be uh, you know, be able to express my culture through food. Um, I did not expect it. When I, when it happens, it was just unreal. It's an incredible experience that I would, you know, I, I'm still, sometimes when I thought about it, I was just like, wow, how did it happen? Yeah. It's, it's really, it also, it kind of made me very proud, too. It's proud to be able to be a woman, be a refugee, you know, having to go through such, you know, a life and, you know, having given this kind of recognition is incredible experience. And I hope that this also will take this, um, my story to a community, to allow community, to any minority Asian community or to any woman to, you know, follow their passion, to have the courage to do, you know, you know, like, uh, to to be able to have this kind of encouragement to say, you know what, I'm just going to follow whatever I, I, I have a passion. Yeah, well, you should be proud. I mean, what you've done is absolutely amazing and incredible. And it's just, it's just, you know, I'm just stunned by your, your courage and your bravery. Um, and, at this, and you also lead an international movement to promote Lao cuisine. So what is that? Mm-hmm. What is that movement? Um, it, it's a movement that I start along, you know, when I decided to open a Lao restaurant only, Dip Khao, I decided to, um, not only for the business-wise, I decided to open Dip Khao also to introduce people, you know, uh, where Laos is, to put Lao food, Lao food and Laos on the map. So basically, Lao food movement had begun uh, uh, along with Dip Khao. And um, now I decided, a year ago, I decided to not just only promoting Lao food, Lao culture, put Lao food on the map. I also decided to, you know, have the, the program to also, you know, um, mentoring, inviting people, inviting guests, inviting chefs, inviting you know, anyone who's interested in learning Lao food to, to come and visit us um, is, is part of the mentoring program that we open our door to, uh, you know, help business um, as well as, you know, the, the Lao restaurant tour out there, encourage um, them to, you know, um, open a Lao restaurants instead of going to open other restaurants. Uh, we should all be proud to open, you know, have our own identity, open a Lao restaurant. So it's kind of encouragement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, tell us, Chef Sang, where we can learn more about the Lao food movement and where we can find 
TipCow and how we can, you know, keep in touch with you and all the really amazing work that you're doing? Um, we have a website that we set up. Um, it's lawfoodmovement.org. Uh, we set up uh, to, uh, uh, um, you know, promote and also have people reaching out uh, to us uh, through our website, um, as well as, you know, contact um, us through TipCow as well as myself at deepcow.com. And are you are you on the Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm very active on Instagram. Okay. And, um, <laughs> thing. So I'm, I'm very active on that. And then also um, the Twitters, uh, my Facebook. So I'm pretty active on social media. <laughs> okay, great. Do you have any plans for opening restaurants in other cities? Or are you keeping it in D.C. for now? Um, no, I, I like to travel and meet as many uh, chefs as possible. So my plan is to encourage people to open Lao restaurant all over America. Um, I do plan to, you know, see what I what else I can do in DC uh, area. Uh, I so I'm not looking forward to expand any part of the country, but I will stick to the local it's with DC area. Okay, so we'll all have to come mm-hmm. to DC to try your food. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like a good excuse. Well, Chef Sang, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. And you really are just, you know, you're just such a remarkable person. And I'm so glad that I got to have this conversation with you and learn more about Lao food and Tip Cow. And I I do plan on coming to D.C. because it sounds like it is absolutely worth it to to be able to eat there and taste your food. So thank you so much. Yeah. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Tune in next week at the same time at 6.30 or check out the podcast. You can listen to it on iTunes and Stitcher and always on heritageradionetwork.org. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.